welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and we are in part two of the Ryan Leone Rest in Peace replay. And uh, Ryan died last weekend, as I told you guys yesterday. And on the phone, I have one of Ryan's best friends. He's the godfather of Ryan's young older son, Nico. It's author, filmmaker, fucking outlaw entrepreneur, uh, Seth Ferranti. Welcome back to the show. Dave, what's up, man? Yeah, man, sad. It's 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 real super sad about Ryan, man. It's like I'm almost still in shock. It's like I'm just waiting for him to like pull the curtain back and come out or something because that's just like it's just like something that he would do. But I I know it's real, so it's just like uh, it's crazy, man. I've I've been talking, you know, to the to his his kid's mother, Karina. You know, and I, I've been trying to help her, you know, as she's processing and, and feeling all these waves of, you know, grief and anger and, and everything that, that people, you know, feel. But it's just, uh, it's just really, I, I'm in shock, man. Like I say, I know he's gone, but it's, it's like, I don't want to believe it, you know, so it, it's, it, it's kind of this weird feeling. You know, and it, it's fucking like Ryan, it's like Ryan Leone. I just feel like he's going to like step out some fucking door and be like, I got you. Right. But it's. Right. I mean, that that's just, you know, not the case. With him though, he's like it would be something he would want to do. It would be something he wished he had thought to do before he died. Would be to fake his own death because that's a classic I think Ryan Leone thing. Wouldn't you imagine him doing well, it? I mean, that's just that's his humor. You know what a lot of people don't get about Ryan. And I, I'm not saying, I mean, Ryan, you know, he, he, he's a drug addict, you know, he suffers from mental illness, PTSD, a lot of stuff. He's, he's a damaged, fucked up individual, but he still has that light that shines super bright. And this dude was such a, a smart motherfucker and, and talented and shit like that. But the one thing that I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people are amazed by Ryan. But, dude, this dude is like a comedian. That was like his whole act. I mean, this was, he had like dark, twisted comedy was what he did like you know he did like you know drug addiction you know mental illness like i even though he was suffering from those it was like it was like comedy for him you know and 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 like for him to like you know stage a death that would be like the ultimate uh comedy act for him even even though you know for that dark twisted but you know so i'm not saying comedy i'm not saying this stuff is not funny i mean it's dark and it's twisted but that's where this dude was coming from you know i knew this dude really well and like I say, a lot of it's true. A lot of it's in the act, you know. But I mean, any any time when people take on these public personas, right? You know, you, you you play it up to those angles, you know, where which you find out what people like, and you know, like like any any performer, you know, he did that. But you know, that was his kind of that was kind of his stick, man. It was that dark, twisted, and and like I say, you know, faking or publicizing your death would like perfectly go into that. But you know. Unfortunately, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, this isn't a trick. Right. He, he very much had like an alter ego. He liked to be the man who you love to hate, right? Like a rowdy Roddy Piper character in drug addiction. And, and he loved drug addiction literature. And he, he was working to become, you know, a figure in drug, drug addict literature. Do you think he loved to be the man that everybody hated from time to time? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you know, like, like like any artist, I think you know you want people to like your work, but then when you can find success, 
you know, in that realm. I mean, success was still success, you know, but I think, I mean, he had a lot of haters. He had a lot of detractors, especially online. And, and let, let's be real. We're talking about these are people who don't even know him personally. You know, they just know him as a, as a uh, character, you know, whatever. quasi, yeah. quasi semi celebrity, you right. know, notorious figure, whatever you want to refer to him by. But, um, you know, a lot of these people don't even know him. So, you know, they're just hating to hate. But I mean, I, I, I believe, you know, even even like when you saw online, I mean, he had a ton of supporters, man. He had a ton yeah. of people, you know, that like and, and talking to Kalina, she said like on she said like on the social media, like she said so many people are, are pouring in with support. I mean, she can't even keep up with it. You know, she told me. So, I mean, he's always had, a, a you know, he's always had detractors, but, you know, I, I believe he's always had a ton of supporters and, and, you know, people really empathize, you know, with him and, um you know, like, like his stories, man. So, I mean, that's kind of how he made his living. That's kind of how he did his thing. In our um, community, in, you know, do in the Dopey Nation, people loved him and people hated him. People loved his his comedy. They, they His stories were like second to none. And then other people like loved to hate on him. How did you meet him? So, I was in prison and you know, I think it was when he, he was in prison or when he went back on his violation. It was right at the end of my bid, you know, and, um, you know, in 2014, 2015, he just started writing me. You know, he started writing me and, you know, he told me he was in the feds. This might have when he got first got out or something like that. And he had read my books. You know, so he was writing me to tell me that, you know, I wrote a book in prison too, you know, uh, Wasted Talent, and, you know, and I'm just getting out and I'm going to put it out. So, you know, I was kind of like, uh, I was like on that whole journey from with him, you know, when he first wrote that book, when he first, you know, got out and he started to have success and he was living, you know, down, uh, you know, in Hollywood and, and he married some fan and, um, you know, in some toxic relationship for like, you know, however long. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and it was crazy. So I, I was like talking to him, you know, all that time, but Ryan was always in my ear, man. He was always. You know, he always, because I was a writer, so he always wanted me to write about him. He wanted me to know about him. And so I did. I did a good couple pieces off. You know, we got the penthouse. You know, we got the penthouse story, and, and we got some other stuff. You know, the Huffington piece, and I know he was really proud of those. But, you know, really at first, he was kind of like a pest to me. You know, like, dude always bugged me. But, um, you know, I respected his tenacity. And eventually, you know, as we talk more, you know, I, I respected his creative mind. I respected his business line. I mean, he was a hustler, you know, and I respected that, you know, me too. I, mean, I would get mad at him. Yeah. I would get mad at him for, you know, all his fallbacks and, and his drug addiction, you know, and, and I even considered a couple of times, like, you know, you always say like, you know, you give people three chances, you know, first one's on you, second one's on them, whatever. And, and I felt like that about him for, for, for a while, you know, maybe for about a minute, but then, uh, then I was like, you know, I, re I really like the dude. I really cared for him. You know, I got to know um, Karina. I got to know, you know, Nico, you know, and then eventually his new son, Wyland. So, I, I mean, I really see them as like an extension of my family. I mean, I'm Nico's godfather. So, you know, I hope to always, uh, you know, be a part of his life and, and be there, you know, how how I can, you know, how and when I can. But, um, yeah, man, I, I mean... Like I said, I, I, I still can't believe, dude. I mean, not only was dude like my friend, but he's always been like one of my biggest supporters. That, that's the thing with Ryan. Like, if you fucked with Ryan and you supported him, he supported you like 150%. So, 
Right, right. You know? No, I, I felt the same way about him. How did it get to, how did he ask you to be Nico's godfather? How did that happen? Well, I think, you know, we had done, we had done the, the, the different pieces by then. And then, um, you know, it was, it was before, you know, because when he, he went to prison, like when Nico was born, you know, he went on a fed violation. Like, I, I guess this is around, I don't even know, maybe 2017 or something when he was trying to have, he was trying to have the van and he went in 2018, went back in the fed. So, um, you know, we just done stuff and, and we had just bonded and, you know, even like when he, he went in prison, he used to always say to me, you know, like every time I fuck up, you know, everybody, everybody jumps ship. He goes, but you like never jump ship, you know? So that was kind of like how our friendship was. Cause you know, he would reform relationships and he would fuck up again and people would write him off, you know? So, you know, that, that's, you know, when you're an addict or, or when you're struggling or when you have mental illness or you suffer from PTSD, you know, and you can't maintain, you know, a lot of that stuff happens with people because, you know, all the stigmas and stuff, people just want to write you off when really you just need help and support. So I just tried to be that person that always helped him support him. And I think he realized that. And then when he got out, you know, and he got to know his son, you know, and, um, you know, I guess him and Karina talked about it and, and he asked me and I, I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to be his you know, Godfather, I think, I think any, any, any young kids growing up, but, uh, you know, especially young boys, I, I think they've been strong male role models. Cause I think that's what happens to a lot of us when we're growing up, we don't have that strong male role model, and, you know, it can lead us to us searching drugs or gangs or whatever, you know, we're looking for that, you know, what we're not getting at home. So, I mean, obviously now Ryan's gone, so I'm going to try to, you know, play as big as part as I can. And Nico and Wyland's and Wyland's life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, both of them. Now, uh, Ryan was like, he would tell crazy stories. You know what I mean? Like, he just, and, and like, you would think he was full of shit about everything until, you know, you see like him with Johnny Depp or you see him with the Hunter S. Thompson fucking uh, cigarette holder or whatever. You know, he always, he, he, it was crazy. Like, like, the the life he lived and 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 the shit he got done what was like the most the craziest thing you think that he he showed you like that he surprised you with or something yeah i would say really the uh you know like he called me one time and he's like because i knew he's in la so he's hanging out with like he's with like rock stars and they do like with fucking you know, Tommy Lee, Dave Navarro, suicidal tendencies, right. Rob Zombie. I mean, he he was around these dudes. He used to go to those parties with these dudes all the time. You know, rock stars and and you know lesser known actors. You know, not you know, but well known actors. But uh, I think his his biggest coup that I always thought is you know because he was always you know trying to work with Johnny Depp. You know, Johnny Depp was a big hero of his. He always wanted to meet him, and and he knew a dude. You know, I forget the guy's name, but he does Johnny Depp's tattoos. It's this old fucking, uh, you know, OG fucking uh, entertainment game dude. But he's like an old head, you know, rides, rides a bike and shit. Wrote some books. He's like some famous tattooist. Okay. So um, he met him somehow uh, through somebody, and, and he found out, you know, this dude did Johnny Depp's tattoos. So, like, through that guy, he, he got to Johnny Depp. And I remember the first time he called me, like, he sent him some pictures, and I think he was at Johnny Depp's house for like like sixteen hours straight or some shit. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know who does that. You know who does that? And what are they doing for that sixteen hours? But you know, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, Ryan was into drugs. So I'm not saying nothing about Johnny Depp. I don't know what he's into. But, you know. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Yeah. And um, what was I going to ask you? 
fucking, it's like, uh, he was so excited about, uh, this new book, Antiheroes. Um, what happens now? It never even got released. Is somebody going to release it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm going to have to talk to Karina. So, um, I don't even know. I don't even know if it's done. I don't even know. You know, I mean, that's something we can look at it if it's there, you know, if, 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 if it's doable, maybe I can help to put it out. I don't, I don't know though. And then the yeah, other thing, true. the other thing Ryan loved to talk to me about was the, the movie you guys were making. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I'm 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 in charge of that, so that's definitely going to be done. So um, tell the dopey we're, nation we're, about it, because I'm sure he mentioned it, but you're the you know it's coming straight from the horse's mouth right now. So tell the dopey nation about the Ryan dog. Yeah, so um, me and Ryan have been working on this dog. Um, it's called Idiot Savant: The Savage Life of The Savage Life of Ryan Leone. And um, actually, I, I he started working on it himself, so I knew about this project for at least I don't know, like five years. And, um, you know, he's going through different editors, different people, you know, not, not everything would work out with certain people. So eventually he had the project, you know, at a certain point, not done, but you know, the bones were there. And so this was probably like, you know, a year, maybe a year ago. And I, you know, a little over a year ago. And I told him, I said, look, dude, I said, uh, give me the film. I said, let me finish it. I said, I'll, I'll finish it. You know, I'll do it right. And I know your story. You know, a lot of it was kind of based off of the penthouse article that I did anyhow. What was the penthouse story? So I, I did like a penthouse feature on him. Um, that'd be around 2018, I don't know, 2018 or something. You know, so I pitched penthouse. Uh, you know, I was doing a lot of different crime shit for penthouse, and I, and I pitched him, you know, the story of, of Ryan, you know, like the charismatic fuck up. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they liked it. So, um, you know, that, that, and that was something he was real proud of. You know, he used to show that around all the time, you know, putting on social media. But, um, yeah, so this doc, we're, we're, we're on the third act right now, man. I'm going to complete this doc. I'm going to have it ready by the fall. And then, uh, you know, and then we're going to get it out. You know, he, he has Karina and he had like another, another team, you know, behind him. Tremendous films that kind of started. You know, I'm just, I'm just finishing this project. I just came out of the end to finish it. So, um, I don't know, man, I didn't want to have to put, now we got to put it like at the end, you know, unfortunately, you know, Ryan passed away during the filming of this documentary. So, I mean, I was hoping we could have been like, you know, Ryan is this many months clean. Right. You know, obviously, uh, I mean, that's not going to happen, but I, I don't know what people like from his story. I mean, maybe it's going to make it more popular. I mean, I don't know how the public's going to react, but it seems... I think I think that's why a lot of people watched them because they were just waiting. It was like a tragedy waiting to happen. You know, that's what people wanted. So you know, whatever. And now they got the tragedy. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna this doc. I, I like this doc. I really believe in this doc. This doc really highlights. I mean, this is what happens, man. When when people get drug addictions, when people are thrown into prison, you know, violent prisons when they're not violent people. And they witness all this violence and, and then they get this, uh, you know, post-incarceration syndrome, you know, or like a, a, it's, a it's a type of PTSD, you know, that, that, like a war, a person who goes to war and sees people die, you know, you, when you're, you know, I, I, I saw it all too, you know, I saw everything Ryan saw, but, you know, different people react differently, different things and affects in different ways. So, you know, and, and when people like Ryan come out, I mean, there's no counseling, there's nothing. They don't give anybody coming out of prison nothing. They give you like... 200 bucks in a bus ticket 
Right. So it just it just shows you how like barbaric our systems and like this man is dead now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, of course he had a drug addiction, but you know the PTSD and the mental illness that it caused him from being in these violent, you know, federal penitentiaries when he was like, you know, barely a fucking barely out of his teens. It just shows you, you know. And and so we're we're gonna show this in the film. You know, we're going to make a bigger point of it, a, a bigger issue. We want to have an impact. Hopefully this film can affect some type of change, you know, w- within these systems. You know, it's the same. Like he was in the, he was in the mediums and the violent, in the feds, which are real violently called gladiator schools. And he was in the California system, which is like even worse. Right. You know, I don't know what level Yard he was on, but still. When you were subjected to this stuff. When you were making the movie, uh, was part of you thinking, Ryan might die while I'm making this. Like that's a very real possibility. Cause a lot of people that I talk to, uh, when Ryan would come on the show or I would tell people about Ryan, people would always say to me, this guy is going to die. And, and you know, Ryan would, would text me at the end that he knew he was going to die. And I, for some reason, even though I've had so many friends die at this point and so many listeners die, I, I'm like the eternal optimist. Like maybe I'm just fucking stupid with it. But uh, I was I was thinking that he would find a way to come through, and we talked about it, and you had kind of said the same thing. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I don't, you know, it's always a possibility, man, with with a person that's that's taking the time for drugs. But I, I don't know. I didn't think. Not like I thought he was invincible, but I thought he was like a narcissist. So I'm like, <laughs> and a narcissist is, is never gonna. You know they're they're not going to do something to 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 kill themselves. You know, or they're not. I just don't. I just didn't see it from him, man. Because I mean, he's such a smart dude. I mean, he pushed himself to the limits. I mean, he knew what he can handle. Um, I I don't know, but I mean, this is really from complications from from a respiratory a respiratory a respiratory infection. Not to say that the drugs weren't the cause of it. Right. You know, but uh, yeah, but you know, as 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 far as I know, I think they're still doing like. Toxology reports and stuff like that, but you know, it, it, as far as I know, and I'm sure he had drugs in the system, but you know, as far as I know, it was a respiratory infection, complications. He had like blood clots, and then it was like, uh, you know, cardiac arrest. So, you know, what caused all that? I mean, you know, who knows? Was they're, he in the hospital when he did he die in the hospital? Yeah, yeah, he was in the, in the hospital. So as far as you know, he, he was there. He was there for the respiratory thing, or he was there for his finger. No, he was there for the respiratory, the respiratory infection. Like he hadn't been able to breathe for like a month. Did he, he text you? Know, he did all... he text you that he thought he was going to die? I mean, yeah, he did. He texted me, but he from the respite from the respiratory uh, infection. He said he was in real bad shape and it kept progressively gotten worse over a month. It's crazy. It's so it's so depressing that he could die under somebody's care. You know what I mean? In the fucking hospital. No. It's just the worst. Um so we're rerunning uh Ryan came on Dopey twice. I reran his first one, his kind of uh wasting talent one, and then today we're going to do his second one, which was all about basically the the relapse that brought him to, to this, you know, just like he said he was getting a haircut and his barber gave him some Coke and that, and that started the run. Uh, did you ever know him when he was actually sober? No, I mean, there's been several times. Yeah. But 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's sober with Ryan Leone is a relative word. So, I mean, even when he was sober, I mean, he was like smoking pot, you know, and he might have been taking Suboxone or however you said that. I, I don't know if he's ever been completely like Stone Cold sober. I mean, um, you know, he's been like when he's just smoking weed, I, I thought he was dealing, you know, really well. He was building a lot of stuff, you know, making stuff happen. That was the thing with him when, when, when he was on point. And he was like, you know, drug free and nearly drug free. I mean, this dude could really make shit happen. It was unbelievable, you know, how talented he was in, in those regards, both business and creatively. But uh, yeah, but I would say he was always on some kind of substance. But you know, again, aren't we all? I mean, don't a lot of people drink coffee, so you're on caffeine. Right. Don't a lot of people smoke cigarettes, so you're on nicotine. You know, don't a lot of people use sugar as a drug. You know, I mean, all these substances. You know, I, I equate THC to like, you know, that same uh, category right there with those those substances I said, you know, that it gets progressively worse. But. All right, Seth. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to play this uh, Ryan Leone interview. And, and I appreciate you, Seth. And we're going to have you back on the show to talk about the upcoming projects, too. All right. Yeah, definitely. I got that dope man. I got that dope man while I'm, while I'm coming out, too, all about mafia and heroin and, and how the mob, you know, uh, you know, caused a lot of addiction in, in, in the early 20s in New York. Yeah, I'm excited to see that one. I saw that the trailer was dope. And I'm really excited about the nightlife thing. But we'll talk about it soon, Seth. Go do your thing. Thank you for calling in. All right. All right. Thanks, Seth. Right on. We have a return guest, one of my friends, one of my new friends. He's a fucking dopey legend, author. He wrote this book, Wasted Talent. And his name is Ryan Leone. I'm so excited to have him. There he is. Ryan Leone, what's going Hello. on? Nice to see you again, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Dude, are you so impressed with the dopey fucking studio or Dude, what? Dude, yeah. No, right? no, the intro. The right? intro, though. That, that, was, that was badass. I was like, wow, that is really, really high quality. Now, the last... Thank you. The last time you were on the show, you, you fucking leveled the earth. You 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 destroyed the universe with your stories. And when uh, I'm just going to read a little, I mean, like I just picked up the book and I started skimming through it and I saw this and I'm just going to read a little bit um, and make him a little bit of beggar. And yeah, keep him, keep him big in the frame. Uh, and this is just rant. This is how dopey this fucking book is. I just picked it up and opened to this. Um, we got on an old yellow school bus there's jungle music on the stereo. I sit next to Angie and Chad, guy slobbering on a pacifier next to us. He's like really feeling the jungle. Blair sitting a couple rows ahead of us and the bus reeks of clove cigarettes. There's a girl with a staff shirt pacing the aisle. She has a clipboard and is writing stuff down. The bus starts and Chad asks me how I feel. Before I respond, he yells, how you feel? I simply suggest more special K. He says, nah. Bus calls for something even better. Blaze some Deemsters. Whatsters? DMT. You're going to love it. And this is just like, you know, in the middle of the book. Chad hunches down to his sock. He pulls out a translucent gram bag. We're sitting next to a hot Asian chick. Bloated pupils with the pierced labrea. Labria. Labria or labrea? Right. Labrea. Is it Labrea or Labrea? No, Labrea. Labrea. 
Chad asks her if she's got a piece trying to match a bowl. I got DMT. And that's just one dopey passage from your dopey book in your incredibly crazy life. And I love this book, by the way. It's it's a great book. I have to say that before I say anything else. Thank um, you. Thank you yes. very much. Appreciate and uh, I met this kid recently who's, who's going to go to jail on fentanyl dealing. And I was, I'm giving him the book for his prison trip. Um, now, last you were on, at the end of the show, you were like, I'm messing with Kratom. I'm messing with weed. What's happened? Where? What's happened since the last time we talked on the show? Because we've talked off the show a bunch. When was that? That was, I want to say, like 18 months ago. Um, I don't, I don't know what happened. I know that, you know, like chronologically right after that, I'm not really sure, but I know that in January, um, I had, I was going on Brittany Furlong, Brittany Furland's podcast. She's married to Tommy Lee. Um, and so they do it from their house. And I was like all excited to meet him because he's like one of my heroes. I love Molly Crew. You know, I like grew up listening to it. And the night before the podcast, um, I went to go get my hair cut. And um, the guy that was cutting my hair is a drug dealer. And I was like explaining to him that I was going to Tommy Lee's house. And he's like, here's a free gram of Coke. And he just gave me a free gram. And I relapsed on cocaine January last year mm. and just went on probably the worst relapse I can remember, at least in recent years. You know, I'm 36 now and I've been going for 20 years. This is probably the worst relapse I've had, you know, and I'm just barely coming back to earth right now. Did you get high with Tommy and Brittany or did you just get high before you went? No, you're, not disclosing, you're not disclosing that information. He, he actually had a year sober. No um, way. At least, yeah, at least at least when I met him that, that particular day. Wow. And, and so from where, where did the relapse go from there, from just the initial? First of all, when he gives you the gram, are you nervous? Are you like, this is going to fuck up all of this work? Because you're talking about a 20-year run. You're, I mean, like, I just read, like, a, a passage where these guys are at a rave. This book is full of fucking, you know heroin addiction withdrawal you know murder fuck and your life has been in and out of prison if anyone listened to the first ryan leone on dopey show they'll know so like when you're talking about 20 years into the addiction and you get a handle on it the barber gives you a gram of coke what are you thinking I don't, I mean, I'm one of those people where if I'm around drugs, I just absolutely can't say no to it. So I don't think I thought anything. I don't think I got nervous. I probably got like a little rumble in my stomach. You right. know, like that's what happens when you, you know, right before you're going to relapse. And even if I hadn't done cocaine that night, I would have stayed up all night because I was so excited to go on the show. It's like when you're a little kid and you're going to Disneyland, you know, it's like you can't sleep the day before. Um, but by the time I showed up at their place, um, I think I'd already called the guy that gave me the haircut and asked for more, you know, I think I started binging out right there and then. Um, and I, you know, I got, I got maybe like a month of cocaine binging and then I stopped and then I relapsed again when I went on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast 
It seems that like going on podcasts in person, at least, has <laughs> you know, has, has triggered something with me. I don't know. We don't um, want this but, dopey experience to trigger anything. We want this to offer peace <laughs> and fucking tranquility and and good stuff. Yeah, um, you know, I like right around that time. I you know, I was I've been working on this the Mickey Avalon book and. Um, I started interviewing a lot of his friends. Now he's friends with a very wide array of of humans. You know, you got he's friends with gangbangers from East LA. He's friends with Marilyn Manson. You know, it's like just a very, very, very wide, long spectrum of different people. And um, one of the people that he, because Mickey Avalon grew up um, in a tagging crew called CBS can't be stopped. Probably one of the most infamous tagging crews in Hollywood. And it, it's really interesting. A lot of people that were in that crew, the lead singer of Crazy Town, um, Luke Wilson, the actor, um, uh, I'm trying to think of other people. There's like a number of people that were in that crew that went on to be like recognizable people, Mickey Avalon being one of them. And I started going to this house this huge mansion in partying. Um, it's the, if you saw the um, show that I did with Eddie Furlong and Nick Stahl, it was at that place. And for the first time in my life, you know, I've always had friends, but I've never had entire like groups of people accept me. That's one thing I never liked about AA is like, I felt like it was clicky or like, you know, I, I wouldn't automatically be accepted by everybody. This particular scene, I was accepted by everybody, and there was very interesting people there. You know, MMA fighters, um, actors, musicians. Um, you know, that's how I met Suicidal Tendencies, and I felt like I was on top of the world going to this house because I was in, I could go there whenever I wanted. And what happened is, Karina, my fiance, knows that part of what I do is go out to network. You know, and I think that's part of the reason that I've been able to sell screenplays, you know, it's because I'm constantly, you know, nurturing my Rolodex, so to speak. And so she kind of like, let me do what I want, you know? And I slowly just start like going out. Now I have more freedom and I'm starting to do a lot of cocaine. And I go to Santa Barbara and the guy that I buy it from smokes crack. Um, I had a, horrible crack problem when I was in my early twenties and I swore the shit off a while ago, but I go to get cocaine from them and it's in, it's in crack form. So I did it. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, you know, I, there's certain details I, I don't want to go in because this is my current storyline on Patreon and eventually it's going to get kicked out to YouTube. So I like, you know, I don't want to like spoil some of the crazy stuff that happened, but you know, I accidentally shot 60 hits of LSD. Well, hold um, up, hold up, hold up. First of all, <laughs> we, we have, we have to preserve the Patreon Patreon, but we also have to indulge the dopey nation and back up for a second. Cause you just said you injected 60 hits of liquid LSD. You were, you're snorting Coke. You're running around in this sort of very creative world, and most people are using or not using in the scene. 
I'd say the majority's not using. I'd say the majority's drinking. Um, but they're chill. But, you know, they're not like, like drug addicts. Just, no, just like any scene, especially in LA, there's always going to be the small like pocket demographic of cokeheads that you see kind of like herd into the bathroom together. Right. And you can always spot them at a party, you know, but it's not like overt, you know, the guy that was like hosting it, he certainly wasn't a druggie. Um, it was frowned upon by a lot of those people. So it was like, hush, hush. But you know, when you're a drug addict, you sniff out, no pun intended, you sniff out the people that are doing drugs. And so I was like part of this like subgroups. There I go, like forming my own clique, the thing that I'm against. And I was like kind of with the druggy people. Now with those people, they were into um, I am ketamine, you know, doing intramuscular ketamine infusions. I snorted ketamine maybe like two, three times in my life in high school. I never really liked it. But I was going through a really bad depression. And I think a lot of that had to do with me smoking crack. You know, when my second kid was born, um, I had been up for days and I ended up like taking a handful of benzos, a handful of gabapentin. And I was like falling asleep in the hospital at the point where the nurse is like, dude, go take a nap. And I was like, you know, and I don't want to be that guy that, misses out on his kid's life because I can't get it together as far as, you know, my addiction goes. So it started weighing on my, on my conscience and I started getting really depressed, you know, and I was like going from like coming down off the crack to, um, you know, being depressed, doing more crack. So I didn't have to think about anything. It was just on and on. Right. Um, and what ends up happening is I go, um, to my friend's house to buy a gram of ketamine. It comes in liquid, though, because they're doing it IM. So they mix it with this, like, special saline. I don't know what it is. That's the infusion? They infuse the ketamine with the saline and then they intramuscle it. That's interesting. It it might not be saline, but it's some sort of, like, um, you know, unadulterated water, some purified. I don't know what it is. I think it's the same kind of thing that you use for, like, human growth hormone. That's another thing. I was doing steroids at this point. We were talking um, a bunch I'm, in that period, but keep going. Yeah, I yeah we were. Um, you know, I was shooting HGH, um, testosterone. I was taking Anavol sublingually because uh, my friend works at Vanity Fair and was going to do a piece on me. And he's like, you think you can get a picture with your shirt off? Because I guess they – thought it was like paradoxical to like uh be a literary guy but like also be a bad boy this is their words not like i don't look at myself that way don't judge i'm with you i'm with you the problem the problem was i was in horrible shape right and i was like and i i told the guy i was like hey i'm not what i was when i would do like my other spreads you know where like i had a six-pack and everything i'm not like that anymore i'm a dad now I, i could care less honestly um and so somebody had suggested, we'll just do a cycle of steroids and get it right back. And I did. It took a month and I was like right back, but it had unintended consequences because I'm smoking crack on top of doing the steroids. And so it's just amplifying my depression. It was just so all encompassing because like I'm going through all these hormonal changes, plus I'm coming down off drugs and like it was just, it was really vicious. Plus, so plus you had I just go- had your second kid. I'm sure you're, you're feeling like, oh, God damn, I'm fucking this up. Uh, I'm on crack. I'm, I'm supposed it. to be yeah. this thing. 
Yeah, I'm sure the depression was was intense. And then on top of that, you know, I do Patreon and YouTube. That's how I support my family. They're supporting clean and sober Ryan, not crackhead Ryan. <laughs> and it's not like I can be like, yeah, I've been smoking crack all day when I'm doing my daily monologues or whatever. And it became more and more obvious with my Patreon family and my YouTube subscribers that I was fucked up, you know, and people were calling me on. I was like, no, 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 no. You know, coming up with every excuse in the book. Right. Um, and so I started doing these ketamine infusions because I was like, okay, this is going to cure. Of course, injecting a drug is the answer. Like, I don't know. That's how my for depression. brain was. Was that the idea? For depression. Yeah, because that is something that's being used right yeah. now. You can go get ketamine infusions, but it's like insanely expensive. It's like $1,800 for an infusion or something nuts like that. And, and it's super regulated. They make sure the dose is precision and like they make sure exactly how, you know, how much ketamine you're getting. So so keep right. going. I'm enjoying this story a lot. I'm sorry. So... Um, and this is like the storyline that's going to be on Patreon. This is so fucking gnarly. I, I, um, I go and I buy a gram of, of ketamine and they put it in like, um, you know, the same kind of vial that you would get steroids in, you know, it's like you stick the, the needle in the little rubber neck thing or like, you know, so it doesn't barb the neat, the, the point of the syringe. And, I go and I grab that, and I also had LSD in the same um, type of thing. So I go back to my place, and I get a marker, and I write K on the ketamine and L on the LSD. Can I stop I you for a second, K. though? Hold up. <laughs> you're you're basically, you know, living pseudo-recovery. You wind up seeing the barber. You get the Coke. You get on the crack. You decide you're depressed. You want the liquid ketamine infusion to deal with the depression. But where does the vial of the LSD come from? Like, when did you get it? Like, I love stories about vials of LSD. It just At some point, like, I'm the kind of guy, like, I don't know if you remember when we had, like, an LSD drought in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> it was because this, this bunker got busted in, like, I think it was in Kansas. I was actually just with the guy that got busted. He got life in prison, but Obama pardoned him. And Seth Ferrante and I were interviewing him for Seth's documentary on LSD. It was very interesting to meet him in person. They said he manufactured enough LSD to dose the entire world twice. Wow. That's what it said on the indictment. Look up um, LSD asylum bust in Kansas, and you can read about this shit on um, Wikipedia. But um, – you know, when that drought happened, I'd always like, you know, abuse that stuff pretty regularly or I did, you know, I'm trying not to do anything right now. Um, but whenever somebody would be, would have it, I'd take as much as I could afford or like, because I was like scared that we were going to go into a drought again and I wasn't going to have it. Um, and as I've gotten older, I use it more therapeutically than I used to, you know, I, I get insights from it. I don't recommend that to anyone. Um, this is just delusional shit that I thought was helping me, you know, when I was in the throes of addiction. And like now that I'm lucid again, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm 36. I probably shouldn't be dropping acid regularly. Well, you know? I, it makes um, me want to know, do you have some crazy cache of psychedelics? Like, is there like DMT and liquid LSD and peyote and some safe in some yard? Yes. And, uh, yes. There is. Yes. yes. But not at my house. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Just making sure. 
This is not going to mm-hmm. help you in the long term. Just so we're clear about this, by the way. Um, I know, and it's not a, it's not at my house. I would I, I like I'm petrified that like my kids to get into psychedelics or something. So like that's like one of my biggest fucking fears, you know. So it's just so everyone knows I don't have drugs here. Before um, before we get to the story, also I want to ask you something else. I want to make a proclamation. The thing about Ryan is that first of all. You're an incredible writer and you're and you're prolific and you're an incredible hustler and your heroes are these kinds of folks who take psychedelics and write who who go, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, fucking Burroughs, like Bukowski, these kinds of people that go to the depths and come back with this piece. And I know that that's the cloth that you're cut from. But it gets me worried because you're actually bonafide. You're in that in that arena, but like it gets so bad, right? You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. My point is that you're of that world. So the fact that you have this uh is it cachet or cash? What are you supposed to say? I don't know, stockpile of 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 psychedelics. I always wanted one, but when I got to total absence, I was like, I can't. What am I crazy? Can't handle it. But anyway, you got the vial of liquid L and you got the vial of K. Yes. Yep. I was just, while we're talking about this though, now, you know, last time we didn't have video, but you, you made me, I want to show, you've never seen this. I want to show you something just well. I remember that is Hunter's cigarette holder that Johnny Depp gave me. Wow. And only Hunter, Johnny and myself have smoked a cigarette out of this. Wow. And that is like one of my most prized possessions. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, um, you know, I want to turn it into a chain. Yeah. Like, I don't think I should wear that every day, but no. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I want to show you that because that is like something I'm very proud of. That's one of my most prized possessions, you know? Um, and you're talking about Hunter, you know, I'm like an avid Hunter fan and Johnny, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm passing the Gonzo torch to you, man. I was like, cool. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good Johnny. Um, so let's get to the vial of the, of the shooting 60 hits by accident. So, um, I get in this gnarly fight with Karina, right? It was my fiance and I left this stuff up in Santa Barbara. Mm. You know, this is where I keep my drugs She's down in LA. I don't know. Yeah, we just bought our first house, right? So we just got our first house. Most of our belongings are like in boxes. And um, we get in this fight and I take off. I'm tripping out. Like we're just like in this horrible argument. Uh, probably because had our son been born yet? See, like I'm still a little um, – I'm not as like sharp as I was before the 60 hits really, I had to go to the hospital. I'm going to get to it in a second, but, um, I go up to Santa Barbara to go. I don't know what I was doing, but I was like, so hysterical. I was like in this, like this heightened hysteria that I was like, I'm going to do a ketamine infusion to calm me down because they do calm me down. So you got to remember, not only did I do 60 hits of acid, but, I did 60 hits of acid coming from a very dark place, trying to like come out of that. Like I'm sure, you know, it, it was not the condition to do one hit of acid, let alone 60. So I go and I draw up 
25 cents. Yeah, either 20 or 25 cents. I don't remember. Um, I usually do between 20 and 30, but for the more calming, it's less, you know, for the more like, you know, where you get insights, the therapeutic stuff's like a higher dose. And then of course you can go into a K-hole. So you got to be careful. And I just stick it in my arm, you know, um, no vein. I'm just, this is muscular. It's better to do it like on your forearm where it's like shallow, right? Like that's where I've been taught to do it. Even though, like, I mean, if I'm in a muscle, I usually go in, like, my ass cheek or, like, you know, up here. But I was told, do, do the forearms and don't rub it, you know, like, just whatever. So I end up doing it, and I peaked maybe within 20 seconds. Uh, you know, I started tripping this, like, crazy white light seemed to, like, just start, like, surfacing. I don't know how to describe it, but it, like, felt like – it almost felt like the ground became the sky outside. Right. And it just started like, like, um, like this light started like levitating. It was, and I knew I fucked up. And I'm like looking, and I have different vials, and I'm like, oh my god! Like, so I you have I the fear. You you have the the realization <laughs> that you hit the L before the L hits you. It's like oh, and then you're tripping, and then you're like done, right? No, 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 no. I had the realization after it kicked in. Yeah, no, it's it wasn't like I shot up and then I was like, oh, wait, I did the wrong thing. Because remember, I had marked these vials. I put K and L. So I didn't think that. But when I started, when this white light started rising, I was like, ketamine doesn't do that. I'm, I'm fucked, you know? Like, I think I, and, and I didn't know how much I'd shot either. Like, I, you know, I couldn't, like, estimate how many hits that was or whatever. I, I think it was 25 cents. Later, we would go back and we'd do a drip test, and the vial has 100 hits. There was only um, 40 of them left. So we knew that, that I'd done 60. So what happened past that point, the white light? Like, it almost felt like I was being tucked into this light. Like, it was a blanket. And I, like, walked into it. And what happened next is up for debate, right? But what ends up happening is I go on a road trip and I go and I think I pick up Karina and the kids, but I didn't. And I keep going and I, I wind up in this small town, like I'm driving on, on, under the influence of 60 hits of LSD. Before this, um, I may have taken 10 at a time, you know, which was like always really heavy. What was the um, most you ever when, took? 10, you think? Well, um, when I was selling it, we would get it in crystal form and we would do thumbprints. Right. Uh, because when you get a gram of LSD, it's like comes in, it almost looks like um, uh, water softener salt pellets or, um, you know, almost like crystal meth. It's like comes in this like, kind of like murky whitish, you know, pebble. And that's a gram. And what you can do is get your thumb and stick your thumb on it. And there's so much LSD because it's in crystal form, the crystalline or whatever, that it seeps through the pores of your thumb. And I would trip for like two or three days. Right. I don't know how many hits that would be. A lot. Probably something comparable to what I did, but I don't talk to my girl this whole time right like i'm just tripping the fuck out and um i make it to this town by the way i don't really remember 
picking them up. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, when I think back on this, it's, like, fragmentary of what I remember and what I don't. But, I re- like, at some point I'm with them, and we're in this town called Rialto, California, uh, which is, like, this, like, shithole by San Bernardino. My celly from when I did my state prison term is there. My other celly from the feds, the south sider named Chenny, he's there. They were really there, right? And right as I'm, like, meeting up with them, I go to say something to Karina in the back seat, and I realize there's nobody there. And I'm like, like, it was, like, such vivid hallucinations that I had forgotten that I was tripping in the first place. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, and at that point, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. And I saw um, – I saw my old cellies. They saw the condition I was in. Um, somebody, somebody fucking died. Um, like we heard this loud noise. Bah! And there was just a dead body laying in the middle of the road in Rialto when I was with Jenny. Some pedestrian got hit by a car. Laying in a pool of blood in the middle of the street. I don't even know. I like, I'm like, is this real? Like, I, it was like just so coincidental that that happened, but that really happened. And eventually, um, you know, I, I get lucid to a point, like, I don't even know how I'm interacting with motels at this point. Like I'm so out of my mind, but I'm renting a little teepee motel. It literally looks like teepees, the rooms in Rialto. Like you can Google it, teepee hotel, Rialto, California. You see a picture, the rooms look like teepees and they're spread out. And I'm like, and my celly sees me. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. I'm like living in this teepee, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was so wild. And eventually I get clear enough where I can, um, where I can explain to Karina. How long does it happened. take to get a little bit of clarity? Like three or four days. Man. Right. And, 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 and you I have to admit, it, it, she it, disappeared. it's so fear and loathing. You know what I mean? It's so like you're off and running, hallucinating people, waking up in TPs, coming. It's like it's 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 in, that's like a crazy fucking story. And that's like the tip of the iceberg of this last 18 month period. What did she say? Oh yeah. That that wasn't that was shit. You know, <laughs> what did she say? Kind of how it started. Um well, she, I mean, first of all, she was very concerned because, of you know, I'm the kind of drug addict that, um, she wasn't, she didn't know about the ass at first, but when I finally got a hold of her, she was crying because she thought that, um, she thought something had happened to me. I'm not the kind of drug addict to disappear. You know, in all my years of addiction, I'm not the kind of guy that disappears. You I come at home. Least check in with people. Yeah. yeah, I come home. That's my MO, right? So she thought I died, you know, I mean, it's a pretty high probability that that could happen. And when I told her what had happened, she starts freaking out. She's like, oh my God, like you might never be normal again. Right. You know, and she's like, you're already not normal. Yeah, like you were normal before. (laughs) That's God. And I'm still doing steroids on top of it. And Oh, and then somehow I got a bunch of meth. Like, in the midst of this, I think someone gave it to me and I'm just eating it, you know? And, um, like I didn't have a pipe or anything, so I'm just eating it and I didn't, um, have any syringes. And so she, she, by the time she sees me, I'm so fucked up on the acid. And then I think the meth kind of kept it going, you know? Yeah. Um, 
she's like, you got to go to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, like her family got involved. It was like really, um, it was fear and loathing, although there's real life consequences with it, you know? Um, and like, it really scared her. It really scared her family. They took me to the hospital. I was able to explain to the doctor what happened. They didn't believe me, you know? And I was just like, you know, they drug tested me. I come back dirty for meth. And they're like, okay, well, you're on meth, but, you know, there's no way to test for LSD. We're just going to take your word for it. Do you want us to, to give you the charcoal thing? Um, and at that point, it's not, that's not going to help me. You know, it's like, basically, I had a standard observation. Um, they, you know, they, they got me hooked up, um, started pumping me full of the saline, uh, other stuff like they were giving me benzos and stuff or uh barbiturates they're giving me phenol phenol barbitrol or something phenol like barbitrol yeah down. yeah yeah is that what it's called mm -hmm. um they're giving they're giving me that and like trying to bring me back to earth and i remember one day i was like so then they like brought me to like a psych ward to get evaluated and i remember one day i just woke up and I wasn't tripping anymore. I was like, oh my, thank God. I mean, I thought that this was going to last forever. And there, there has been residual effects. Now, when that happened, Karina left me. You know, that was, and, and she got a lot of pressure from her family. They're I'm like, sure. you can't be with, with somebody that's, that's the, like, you know, the kids deserve better, which is absolutely true. I don't blame them. It's coming from like, a place that I would want, you know, it's like, um, hold on. It froze up a little bit. You're good on this end. Okay. Um, and so she leaves me and around this time, dude, you just cracked your neck page. and it sounded like bones were breaking. That was serious. Neck it was crack. Probably, it was probably like LSD. Little, yeah. Little LSD was exploding into the capillaries of your <laughs> neck just now. But keep going. Um, so yeah, so so she so she left me, and um, I got really suicidal. You know, like um, so I decided to kill myself again, and I went downtown LA and scored heroin and relapsed on heroin, and that's how that happened. It was right after that. Where did you go? Um, you went to like whatever Sixth Street and Spring or some shit, or you went further east? What'd you do? Sixth and San Pedro. Yeah. I can't believe that spot just exists for, for 20 years. Huh? Yeah, I said for all the listeners, don't go. Uh, don't go to Six there, and San know? Pedro. Um, and so that started like a four-month period of me. I have footage of when I shot the LSD, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's Save that gnarly. for Patreon. Are you going <laughs> to save that for Patreon or are we going to yeah, use it, that? It's already on Patreon. All right. um, it's on the $20 tier on Patreon. But so um, then I start doing heroin. Um, I, I don't kill myself. I just get the heroin. I start doing it. And, and this starts the cycle of me going in and out of rehabs over the last four months. Uh, not even rehabs, detoxes. And like me walking out and then like I'll get sober for like two days and then like I'll go back out. And what, what happened is, you know, um, how, wait, hold up. How long was the dope run? Four months. Okay. And as soon as you, you did it once, you're just like, I'm doing this now. 
I'm done. I'm done. Right. You know, I do it once. I'm like, oh, all right. I'm a heroin addict again. Cool. Right. That's it. This is like, in, you know, I'm either going to go to jail or I'm going to go to rehab or, you know, whatever. Um, and I just stopped working, by the way. I stopped. <laughs> I sold the screenplay. I think I told you right yeah. when it had happened. I got this fat chunk of cash, thankfully. And it just like, I didn't have to work anymore. I was like, fuck it. Like, whatever. You know, um, I can live off this for a long time. And which I'm not saying is, is like, I felt really bad that I just like disappeared on people that were supporting me on Patreon and YouTube. But honestly, I wasn't in, it was affecting my mental health. If you you were doing Patreon about being a recovering addict and you're on dope and crack, it wouldn't have been good. It would only have been good if it was a Patreon on being high on dope and crack. Otherwise, well, it's going to the Patreon, the page, the Patreon people are like, who cares? Like, just tell stories. We don't care if you're on drugs or not. Just right. put out content. I couldn't. I lost the I like I just like I was in a place where I couldn't do it. My mom, you know, started getting really bad with her dementia again. We had to put her in an institution. Just things were going bad. And, mm. and um, what happened at the end, this is like the cliff notes, but like all sorts of wild shit happened. I was hospitalized several times for abscesses and. Um, the last month of my addiction, I got into fentanyl and that's when things got really scary. You know, that's when my dad, my girl, that's when there was an intervention and they were like, look, like, like, this is it, you know, like you're a ticking time bomb with fentanyl. They, they read all the stuff that's in the newspapers, um, and I don't blame them. I guess I don't even know, but I'd be on fentanyl and, you know, Karina would find me in my driveway passed out at the steering wheel or she'd find me laying down in the kitchen on the kitchen floor or the bathroom. And it's like, what does that do to children? You know, I can't I can't continue this shit. And, um, you know, I then like I would I self-inducted on Suboxone probably nine or ten times. Um, you know, throughout this journey. And then finally I was just like, you know, I'm going to go to the methadone clinic, you know, because it's so with these like new Chinese analogs for fentanyl with the cartel manufactured fentanyl, you know, it's not like what we were used to doing back in the day, back when you were out there where like you get a patch and you can cook it into powder or whatever, like you get the gel. It's not, that is not what this is. This is a research chemical designer drug that is synthesized by cartels or by Chinese scientists with the pure intention of making it an abusable narcotic. And what happens, it's the, it's weird, you know, like they'll say on the news, they'll be like, all right, a grain will get you, a grainy will get you high two granules will kill you. Right. I, I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that, you know, it comes in powder form. It's a hell of a lot more than a granule that, you know, I'm smoking pebbles that are this big it's, and you just get addicted to smoking this shit all day, every day. And it got me off the needle. So I was like, Oh, I'm doing great. You know I mean? People still, still kind of give you bad looks if you're smoking off tinfoil, you know, but, um, it, it, it like had gotten me off that, the needle trip, like all my, and the, the people are so weird about it. Like a lot of my friends will not sell me fentanyl because they know that I'm the kind of addict that'll just die. Wait, let me um, ask you, I have a really- couple questions. I have a couple questions. First question is as someone who like, when I did dope, the only fentanyl that was available were in the analgesic uh, packs 
or the lollipops, and there was no fentanyl around. So as someone who reads about fentanyl and hears stories, I'm hearing that fentanyl's in the Coke and fentanyl's in the tar and fentanyl's in it. It's not what you think. Yeah, it's not that. That's That was my point. It's not, I, I know that you, um, you know, have been sober, what, eight years now? Six. Coming up on eight years? It's coming up on seven. Six. six but that's enough time, though, where you've been away from it. This shit wasn't around when you were out there. So I know exactly what you think when you read about it. You're like, oh, yeah, fentanyl. I remember the lollipops or I remember yeah. the patches or whatever. It's not what this is. This is a totally new drug. But it's, it's not totally It's not up. in the tar on La Brea, on, on Six and San Pedro or whatever. It's not. They're not putting fentanyl in the in the tar downtown, is what you're saying. No, I'm sure they are. I mean, when I was out there on this last run, I had like, you know, four or five connections that I was using that, that kind of like butted up after my relapse. You know, you know, you meet yeah. people along yeah. the way, whatever. Totally. So I bought some fentanyl test kits off Amazon and I'd start testing the dope. It never came back that I was doing tar with fentanyl in it. Right. But a couple times, like, people be smoking fentanyl. And I hate smoking heroin. So they'd be like, here, you want some? And I was like, no, I'm good. And then I tried it. Didn't really like it. Tried it again. It was whatever. And the third time, it just got its fucking hooks on me. And And I'm telling you, man, this stuff is so much more addicting than heroin. So when you do it, so like you're doing the tar, you're shooting the tar, you're shooting the tar, and you have friends that are smoking the fent, and you're like, I'll give it a try. And how does it hit you differently than shooting the dope? It's not like crack, but it's kind of like crack in the sense that like I smoke it, like I take a hit. And I like pace around for a minute and then I come take another hit and it, it hits you, you know, in a way that it, it makes you very tired. Um, it's rough on the stomach. It doesn't have as much euphoria as heroin, but it's much stronger and you get a much bigger bang for your buck. I mean, at the end I was doing a gram of it a day but I was doing three grams of heroin, a black tar before that. Right. So like you were saving um, money on and it. And yeah, yeah. A gram of heroin, you know, I get three grams for one eighty. I get three grams of fentanyl for one fifty. So it was like it, it was cheaper and I was like and so I started doing it and that was the that was it. That was like where my where Trina and my dad were like, That's it. Like you use again, you lose your family. You know, you know, I lose my dad being in my life at all. You know, he won't talk. To, he won't even talk to me on the phone. How did how did they know you had they, switched from tar to fentanyl? I'm very honest with them, you know. Um, and, and also, you know, when I was using, um, like if I was at my dad's house using, I don't use by myself or I wasn't in the, you know, in the beginning. Um, if I did a shot of heroin, I would give Narcan to my dad or to my girl and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do a shot right now. Come check on me in like 10 minutes. Make Every sure time. Okay. If I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Did but they ever have to Narcan you? No. Well, they didn't, but I was Narcan twice in the four month run. 
And and how scared were you when you when you switched to fentanyl? Were you scared at all, or were you like, whatever, it's all the same thing to me? I was pretty scared because of all the hype around it. Um, you know, like my buddy took a hit of it recently. Took a hit and was like, got distracted, so he kept it in. Fucking went out. He kept it in for like twenty seconds. Went right out. Bam. Um, and yeah, my other friends had to give him CPR and everything. Um, and then, you know, there's people that say that have told me that Narcan doesn't work on, on fentanyl, you know, like it's so, it's so strong that Narcan sometimes doesn't work. Like my buddy just OD'd recently and they had to use two, uh, Narcan spray hits on him, you know, um, two different bottles. I think each bottle has like two hits in it. Um, and yeah, I OD'd off it twice snorting it. This was back in um, the uh, when I went to film for my documentary in the Midwest. Um, I relapsed out there, and when I came back to LA, I was still relapsed. And uh, that was my first little mini relapse with opiates. Um, that was like in the beginning of the summer, you know, like I'd say June. And uh, I went to go buy heroin from my connection, and he's like, I just have fentanyl. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I get a rig? You know, I was asking for a needle. And he's like, oh, there's no needles with this. Right. I was like, what do you mean? And they were like all these, like, essay dudes at his house on the couch, and they're laughing at me. And they're like, no, you can't shoot this, bro. I was like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Because I used to shoot the patch fentanyl. You right. know what I mean? Like, I was like, this isn't shit. I swear, dude, I did a like the littlest bump you could imagine. Snorted it because I was I was sick at the time. Not only did I get well instantly, but I started turning blue. Like right. I almost went out right there, and right. then I went out twice in a week off that stuff. So I stay what, in my friend's house, and she had an Arcami two different times. What was the thing that got you from this run? to the methadone like what was it like was it your father being like that's it like how many times in your life has your father said that's it never really really because like i've seen he's I mean, that like, scared of fentanyl yeah tell us about it because i know your dad is like a fucking upright dude you know he reminds me of my dad i've seen footage of him in, in the dock he he stands by you he loves you so like i'm surprised it took this for him to be like what what changed for him is it because your mom's sick which yeah yeah yep their dog just died my mom's in an institution he's all by himself he has to put serious boundaries up right so that like, I don't think his heart could take if I died right now. Right. And I'm telling you, it's like a real possibility um, <laughs> because this fentanyl stuff is just so – it's so much different than any drug I've ever been hooked on. It like – you it, there's so many different types of it. There's so much weird shit going on. You know, I've heard stories where people are doing it every day, same tolerance, same tolerance, take a hit, go right Dad. up, bam. You know, people are crashing cars on it. It's just like, it's, I mean, everybody looks like they're on the walking dead. Like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, at least I'm off the needle now. But it's like, it it's really, worse. have you seen the documentary, uh, Methadonia, about methadone in New York? 
I've seen bits of it. Yeah. Where they were essentially turning people into like methadone zombies. Yeah. 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 Just like, you know, um, I have to watch that whole thing. I I love methadonia. Anyway, continue. Yeah. At least to the people I know, everybody's like, but okay. When I would do it, I could not function. I couldn't like, we could, we certainly couldn't have a conversation when I'm on it. Like I'm just sleeping all day, all day, every day, wake up, take a hit, pass around, take another hit until I'm passed out again. A lot of times it was in the middle of my bathroom floor or like, um, you know, my, my in-laws came to stay with me, um, even though we're not officially married, but my girl's parents and they came to stay because I was going into to rehab for a month. I lasted two days, right? I got in a fist fight at this detox. Um, and, uh, and so I left because I didn't want to get charges pressed against me. Um, that's a whole nother story. What but did you get into the fight um, about in the detox? So this detox I went to is like state run garbage ass. What's it called? Program. It's called impact. Chris went there, but keep lot, going. Yeah. A lot of rock stars have gone there. It's like a really hardcore program with a high success rate. Right. Yeah. Um, I go there. This is back when I was just on heroin, not on fentanyl. And, um, uh, or no, no, no. I'm just, I, I, I'm just starting to like dabble with both a little bit. And, um, I go to this place and they give you two milligrams of subutex after 20 hours. They give you one hit or like one, one hit. Jesus Christ. I'm a dope fiend. One Ativan right. as comfort meds, right? Clonidine. And then they give you two milligrams of subutex, it was not helping me. I was kicking Sick. balls. Like I'm like, I, yeah, I'm shitting and puking. It's coming out on both ends. I'm like, yo, you need to give me a higher dose. This is like, what the fuck? I feel like I'm in County jail right now. What's up? Like this is supposed to be a detox. They didn't even take your vitals at this place. Like that's how ghetto it was. Right. Like, they don't even take your, your vitals. Right. And so the only thing that would make me feel better is curling up in a ball and taking a shower. For hours, sure. literally hours at a time, right? And it's the kind of place where there's a bathroom in the middle and there's like six bunk beds on this side in a, with the room. This room has six bunk beds and you guys share the bathroom. Well, I take a shower from like 10 p.m. to like 3 a.m. And I'm just laying, I'm la- there's probably sperm and shit like on the drain. I don't even care, bro. I'm like passed out on the drain. And the guy that's sitting, the, the guy that's in the room next to me is a Southsider. It's it's a, it's like five or six Southsiders, but they're like in their early twenties. They they hey dog, you need to get out of the shower, fool. I need to take a shit, homie. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I was like, I don't even care if you shit. Like I'm not getting out. Hey fool, you're being disrespectful, dog. Hey, you're gonna get mollywopped, dog. I'm like, whatever, you know. I just lay there. I'm butt naked, right? Curled up in a ball. And all of a sudden, this this um, this um foot comes, like, in the curtain, hits me in the head. I'm like, what the fuck? And I, like, get up. I'm naked. My little dick is just, like, chilling right there. Yes. And I, like, run into the room. And I'm like, what? I was like, who kicks a dude when they're naked laying down? Who did that? And, like, 
it like the little like the most oompa loompa fucking dude that was there this little like munchkin i did it dog what's up and i was like what and i just i'm naked i square up with them and we start boxing and this dude curls he's like like i hit him once i don't think he expected that i could fight you know and i was just like i was dope sick but i was so angry right just all the everything i was feeling just came out in that fight and um and yeah i beat the fucking breaks off him you know and um (laughs) I'm not even like a violent guy, but well, you hit your breaking point. You were in the, you were in the only place that you were going to get comfort in that place, which is a hot shower on the ground. And he fucked with you. So I, I, and I've never, I've never beaten the brakes off anybody, but I can relate to this story. Definitely. Now what I want to know, what were you going to say? Yeah, good. No, please. No, I I was going to say, I, I haven't, I hadn't gotten in a fight for years, man. And then like, but, God damn, like my girl like was had just left me and um you know but what I was gonna say just to conclude this, the whole point of how I got on this tangent was I came back to my girl to our house, right? And um she's there with her she's at my place our place with her parents and I just show up with my suitcases. I'd already relapsed on heroin, my connection picked me up, right? And um there, it was so awkward living at my house with them for a month, right? Like, this is my place that I bought, and they're, like, kind of bossing me around, you know? And I was, like, I started getting, like, I don't know, like, in my feelings a little bit. And that's when I started doing more fentanyl. And it was so awkward because I would just be laying in the middle of, like, the kitchen floor at, like, 3 in the morning with, like, Oreos next to me. And I just pass out because that's when I start really doing more fentanyl. Right. It was just a mess. Dude, yeah. You know. But so anyway. so when you get to the end of it, and your mother in law, your father in law, find you, and they're like, "Karina, how can you be with this dude?" But they love your kids, and they, I mean, it's obvious how much you love your kids and how much you love Karina. What was the emotional switch? Because I can tell you're trying. I, I talked to you many times in many different conditions, and I can tell you're trying. What was the emotional switch that you were like, fuck, I need to make a real change? Probably like when I felt the threat of her taking my kids from me and her, you know, like not to discount her and how much I care about her when they, and and also I had professional colleagues that were like, I can't work with you. If you're going to keep being a dope fiend, you're a liability. Um, You know, um, but I think once I felt in my heart that she wasn't bluffing that she was going to, that her and my dad were like going to cut me off. And in my mind, I knew that that would kill me literally like on a literal level. If my kids get taken, that's it. Right. I, I have no, but I, it's not true. We I, talked about that too. Cause you're not, you're going to rise to the occasion. Like I, Everyone, I hear a lot of people are like, Ryan Leone's going to die. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think he's going to rise to the occasion. Jesus Christ. There's a death pool out on you, Ryan. I am not in the death pool for you. But listen, like when you are in the, in the, in the path of, uh, you know, of great literary luminaries and you've gotten a ton of praise and your work is great. And there's your new book is called antiheroes and it's coming out in March and I'm excited for it. And I'm sure there's a ton of people that are excited for it. But what I want to know 
is how difficult is it to be this anti-hero, this outlaw, this junkie writer, you know, this literary luminary outcast, like going down hardcore. And then like, everyone's like, you have to be clean. Do you worry about keeping up with the idea, the image, the, or even that path? Like, are you worried that you're not going to be able to do it? Or who will you be if you're not that? Uh, this, that's a great question. And it's a very valid, um, you know, um, it's a very valid concern for me. I, yeah, I, you know, most, a lot of people hear me and they're like, there's no way that what this guy says can be true. There's just no way. Like it's just, it's too extreme in so many different directions. You're not shooting 60. It's acid and selling a screenplay. It just, that does, that's to most people, unless you know me, people that you know me, other people, if you know me, you know that what I'm saying is true. Like I just get in all these fucking horrible situations, but I just go balls to the wall. You're relentless. And, uh, You're relentless in everything. And you will not. And you, even if you don't sell the screenplay, you're going to come out of the fucking sewer with a story that's better than the screenplay. That's just how you, you fucking are. But, but to answer your question, I, you know, with Hunter, you know, Hunter's like a big idol of mine, just probably because I like identify with the mania of him and like, like, uh, you know, but the thing is, is that's an image, right? Like when I do videos on YouTube, that is an image. Like, yes, it's me. And yes, these stories actually happen, but I'm basically a caricature of myself, just like he was. It's like gonzo storytelling, right? And not to say that things are embellished, but a lot of like voices, you know, like, if I give like uh, one of my characters an idiosyncratic thing, you know, there's like a character, Tom, well, I may, you know, like I have these like characters that I make up um, I would not make up, but like I give them like one liners and stuff that they didn't really say in real life, but it illustrates exactly what kind of person they are because it makes you remember them. It's just a mechanism for storytelling. Now, looking at, at Hunter, who had a larger than life persona, Charles Bukowski, William S. Burroughs, people that I've looked up to. Um, yes, I often am concerned that I'm going to buy into my own illusion. Right. That's what Seth always tells me. Seth Ferrante, the director of the doc, he always tells me, don't buy into your own illusion. Do you know, you can be that person, but when you go home at night and you're with your family, you put that person aside and you're your true self. Don't buy into the, you know, the, the larger than life shit. You know, once you start believing that it's a death sentence. Right. And I think that's what happened with Hunter. And also I don't want my um, creative work to be eclipsed by um, your death, you know, by, by my, no, by, by just having a crazy life. I think a lot of people are Hunter S Thompson fans that have never even fucking read a Hunter book. They're just like so drawn to this outlaw lifestyle and they think it's so cool because it's very rare to have a writer that doesn't look like a child molester. You know, most authors are like with their turtlenecks and bug eyes and shit. And to have authors that actually have lived what they're writing about. I found that when I got into the literary world, a lot of crime authors, so to speak, didn't like me when I came into the scene 
and like, but horror writers would, or like literary writers would, you know, um, and I was getting praise from like my biggest heroes, but then the like guys that were trying to make it in the crime writing world just didn't like me. And I finally realized that they were threatened by me because they're writing complete fictitious bullshit. Right. I'm writing about things that I've actually been through. So it's like, it just, it discredits them to have this juxtaposition where like the stuff I'm talking about actually happened. And they're talking about some bank heist with, you know, with, you know, the, the crime boss and his henchmen. Right. right. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, so it's a very like, you know, I'm in therapy now. That's one thing that I'm doing. And I'm working on not buying into my own bullshit. You well, know, I'm trying let me, let me say something really, really quick. To. Let me say something really quick, yeah. which is knowing, like I've seen your YouTube videos. I've read your book. I've heard a lot of your stories. And I've also like been on the phone with you when you talk to your son or you pull your dog in or you're dealing with your family. And like the duality of the two is the most powerful thing. And the fact that you're changing to be there for your family in a way that your father was there for you is the most important part, which is why I think you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, it is. It is. My kids are much more important to me than um, your image, you know, than my career. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, misunderstand me. They think I'm more narcissistic than I actually am. And it's just the caricature. It's like at a certain point, I, I realize like what really makes people upset, you know, like the shirt off, like, you know, it's all a joke to me and to my friends that know me. We're like laughing about it. But people are like, think that like, um, hold up the cover of the book. Right? Or do you still have the book? Yeah. Hold up. Waist down. Go to the back. Oh, yeah. Sexy Ryan. Photo. Sexy Ryan in the Look back. Look at my author photo. That's a joke. Yeah, I, my I wife My like, wife was dude. like, whoa, who, what's this book you're reading? <laughs> um, but Ryan, you have to also... <laughs> it's a joke. You get it, right? Yes, but also you have to know, and I don't know if you know this, that you ride this line, but then when you're using... You're so fucking out of your mind that the character inhabits you and the people that watch you are only getting that and the joke is gone because you're gone. So, like, you have to remember yeah. that in the narrative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm very self-aware of it. But, like, with, with what Hunter, with what happened with him, it's like it got to a point where people didn't want Hunter. You know, they wanted Raul Duke. You know, right. they wanted the crazy fucking – and – so he felt this pressure like he always had to put on a show and like to be honest like when I'm out partying and stuff I kind of feel that kind of pressure sometimes like I want to like like you know be the guy and it's like so immature it's such a you know infantile mentality oh look at all the drugs I can do it's like it's not cool it's been killing people that I care about it's been nothing but destructive and harmful to my life um and so it's like, and there's nothing wrong with telling war stories and like reliving it in that sense, just as long as you're not actually doing the drugs anymore. You know, there's, there's honor in being able to beat the addiction. And that's something that I need to like tell myself through self-talk all the time. It's like, you know, um, it, it's, it's still interesting. It's more interesting that you survive it and you turn your life around, you know? No, that's you know? the whole um, point of this show. I got our, our first house this year. And, you know, when I got out of prison, I've only been out since 2019. 
uh, we were on welfare when I got out. In in that period, I was able to get our first house, you know? And so I'm really proud of that, you know? Like I like like I provide for my family, but none of that matters if I don't survive, you know, if I don't make it. And another thing that I've been like wrestling with is when I was writing Antiheroes, my new book that I just finished, um, and I'm going to be touring in March. I hope to do an event with you. In yeah, New we're York. looking to do a Dopey uh, Presents Ryan Leone in New York City. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that, too. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Um, yeah, I'm going to be touring like 30 states, and I hope to see a bunch of, of, of fans. You know, that there's, there's something really important about interacting with people that support you face to face, like in, in real life, like there's, it's an important part of it. Um, when I was writing my book, Antiheroes, you know, I was originally supposed to write it with Tony O'Neill. He was in the Brian Jonestown massacre. He's like one of my favorite writers. Uh, he wrote a book called, uh, six city that everybody should check out. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers and we originally were supposed to collaborate on Antiheroes and write it together. We worked on it for three years and he's just like, Hey, I'm not in a place where I can finish this. I was like, fuck dude. Like, you know, um, but I had my other books going and stuff. So I like, he was whatever. And then Nick Stahl, who I consider my closest friend, he's like, I'll write it with you. Fuck it. Like he offered, I didn't ask him, he offered. And so he started coming up with some great ideas. We just, um, worked on Florida together and now we're working on a new, um, film together. And we're like great creative partners. I love Nick. I want to get him on Dopey, man. But he's, he's not coming. Yeah. Don't t- come on. He's not he, coming. This guy's not right, coming. But our best to, to Nick Stahl. Um, he's got a lot of good insight on recovery. But anyway, um, so I just when I was strung out, I couldn't really make videos anymore. But I felt so guilty about not working that I just started writing, you know. And I wrote an entire book pretty much in like a four month period. It's the best thing I've ever written. Nice. Hands down, the be- like by like a long shot. And I've completed a lot of shit. This is my third book. I didn't publish my, the second book, June Gloom. Um, you know, I've I've sold multiple screenplays now, etc. This is the best thing I've written. And so in my mind, I'm like, God damn, is it the heroin that that, that is makes like you good? The creativity, or or and that's been a real tough one because I'm not. I'm just not as creative off of it. I'm just well. Not, it's all about it's, it's about all learning. about a path. It's about though. learning. It's about learning, and it's about diverting the ruts in our in our neuro fucking pathways. You're used to one path. If you get used to another path, you will carve out a different you know ability to write. It's also the same thing as an ability to have a good time. It's an ability to be comfortable in your skin. All those things will come together, and Sex. you just need to be patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that sex, shit. Uh, all these things that you have to kind of relearn. It's just like, I guess, you know, and, and I definitely don't want to perpetuate that, um, you know, that, that whole thing that drugs make you more creative because I don't think they do. I think what, what in my instance, the reason that, that opiates were um, helping me creatively it's because I have such debilitating ADD and I think it just shut my racing thoughts down. So I think the answer with me is to get on some sort of medication. It doesn't have to be a narcotic that helps with my ADD because that's what I think it was. You know, and when I'm a- able to finally sit down and focus and I don't have to deal with these racing thoughts competing for my attention, I can actually, um, you know, sit down and write a book, 
you know, in four months. But the you know, flip I, side I, of the that is the flip side of that. Cause I've seen your, your documentary. That's where this all started with medication for the ADD, you know? Right. Like, so then it goes right. full circle and it's like, now you're off of everything you're maintaining, you're on methadone to, to get off of it. And it's like, well, how do I deal with my ADD? And then it's like, I need ADD medication. So I say go slow. My big vote is go slow. Fucking give yourself a chance. I, and like, I'm not against medication. I'm just against not using it, not as prescribed. You know what I'm saying? I'm again, I'm against anything that puts you in harm's way. I'm a pro Ryan yeah. Leone person, as you know. Well, I appreciate it. I'm a pro dopey person. Um, and you personally, of course, because you have been there for me a lot of times where I'm like, I need help. I'm fucked. Like, I'll call you like in tears. Like, ah. um, what did you think about the documentary? Uh, very, nobody's really seen it. Nobody, you weren't supposed to see it, but uh, whatever. Cat's out of the bag. Uh, it's okay. I told you we could talk about it. But um, that, you know, Seth Ferrante is the new director. We've gone through four directors, uh, I guess because I'm impossible to work with. Well, you've um, used the whole well. time. Yeah. So yeah, it's well, like now I, you're I not using this version. Yeah. I've seen a couple versions. This version is by far the best. It's super compelling because you've had a fucking camera on you in so many different stages of your it, life. It, 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 and that that's, you know, people think that my shit's so hyperbolic and they think that like this stuff doesn't happen, but you watch the documentary. So much stuff was on film that you're like, Oh my God, I remember that story that you really have that, you know, you have this, you know, there's like, we have five terabytes of footage and, and, you know, it's, uh, I, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is the best rendition that I've seen of it. Um, I've been talking to Ben Wyman um, from Suicidal Tendencies to do the score. So he's going to do the score. Um, and I think that that's really going to add something to it. Like, yeah. I love Suicidal Tendencies, but like to have that frenetic energy. And if you listen to, uh, he was also in a band called the John Dillinger Escape Plan. And it's very, like it's thrash metal, but he's got, a cinematic quality and he's been doing the scores like he's been working with Trent Reznor and he's been scoring a lot of movies recently. That's the direction that he's going in. So I was very fortunate to get him. Did you like the reenactments with Chester Bennington's son? From yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. The whole, yeah. I mean, he also kind of looks like you. So it's like you do a double take. <laughs> How did, did he have an emotional reaction to playing an addict in this thing? Is he an addict? He's not an addict, but, you know, his dad was. Yeah, that's you what know, I'm Chester saying. Chester Bennington was an addict. And it's interesting because I've seen this a lot. I see people who had parents that were addicts, and it completely turns them off from using. And I hope that that's what my kids, um, that, like, they see this footage. That's what the doc, that's the point of the doc. I want them to be so disgusted by drug use that they won't do it. Um I don't think he reacted emotionally to it. I think, you know, he's 19 and he's very artistic. He's a great artist. I think that more than anything, he was just stoked to be part of a film project right. like that. You know, you know, we're like filming in a jail cell and shit. Like, you know, it's cool. I'll tell you what my real, the craziest reaction to the whole doc is. Cause I kind of have a feeling what's coming up in the next uh, sections of the movie. And the craziest thing about it 
is that while you're making this doc about your crazy life, you're in your worst relapse you've ever been in. So it's like yeah. each section, you kind of crawl out of the primordial ooze and then you <laughs> dive back in. And it's like, I want to see where you can cross the bridge over the primordial ooze and look back and not need to jump back in. I think that's one of the reasons that the doc is so fucking compelling because every time you think you're going to get it together, you're like, fuck it. So like we need it to go to the place where you're like, I'm done. You know what I mean? And this is what happened. This is the story. And this is where I'm at now. And you, and I want to see you give yourself a break, you know, like, cause you fucking, you've done it. Enough. I need one. Yeah. <laughs> I need one. It's Do you like, know what I'm saying though? Every time you get out, you're like, fuck it. I'm going back in. Yeah, I know. It's, and it's maddening. Um, Karina shared like some quote that she found online and said, drugs destroyed my life and I wasn't even the one doing them. And that shit just like right. hit me, man. That's the truth. Like, God, like, what am I doing to my family? You know, what am I doing to my, um, you know, you know what like made me tear up the other day? And if you get a chance to remember, go, go look for this. Um, Josh Brolin, do you know who that is? Yeah. Josh Brolin just celebrated eight years sober and, Typically when celebrities post, I don't know Josh Brolin or anything, but I don't even know why I was on his page. I'm not like a huge Josh Brolin fan, um, but for some reason I found myself on his page and I read, honestly, the most beautiful sobriety date celebration I've ever read in my life. Josh Brolin, it's on his Instagram page. It like, I was like, whoa, that's like some really like deep stuff. And I needed to read it the day that I read it. And I'm sure that somebody hearing me talk about this right now will go to Instagram. Yeah, and I'll check it, it out you too. Go on his Instagram. It's like, I don't know. It's not the first picture. It's probably like 10 things down or something. I think it's like a black and white picture of him when he's younger. Right. I want to say, um, but man, it's, it's so beautifully written and it's just so honest and just so, yeah, I don't make you tear up, or if you have a soul. I, mean, I have a soul. Are you kidding me? And and I think like <laughs> I think I care about about you. Be I mean, because we're friends, but also because I was in a, a similar situation with my family, and like it worked out. And I'm really like like my life is only great because I have them, and because it worked out, and because I learned how to enjoy myself sober. If I didn't enjoy, learn how to enjoy myself and have fun, it wouldn't be worth shit. And I'm telling you, you can, you will do that too. Like I have total faith. Yeah, man. No, I, I do. You know, it, it's been more challenging the I last couple years, especially like when the following gets a little bigger, starts yeah. going to your head a little bit. Yeah. You know, like all these cool things or with all these cool people and you're just like, you know, the, the, and all the time, all the time people are like, you're a name dropper. You're, and it's like, yeah, man, I spent 11 years of my life in a cell collectively. If you add up all the time I've done dreaming about stuff like this, you know, and now and it's happening it to a point that I'm proud of, you know, and it's like, if you think that that's arrogance or I'm name dropping, you might want to look at yourself, you know, it might be in your own inner failure projecting. Honestly, you know, I'm just proud, you know, it's like in, in real life, so to speak, um, I'd say that probably all my friends would call me a narcissistic, arrogant asshole, but I, in my mind, I think I'm not, but 
I think all my friends think I am. How so. much <laughs> did this last relapse challenge that? Like, how much do you feel like, holy shit, I've just gotten beat further down than I've ever been beat? It, it humbled me. Yeah. Talk about that before you go. I, I want to hear about that. Um, so, okay, Nick, right, is a huge AA guy. Huge AA guy. Always spouting AA stuff to me. Well, all right, man. You know, it's like, Nick, I just chopped my own arm off. He's like, pray, pray on it, bro. AA stuff. And so I, and I'm just like, oh, man, like I'd be so anti-AA. And he's constantly, that's like my best friend. We talk every day. He's constantly doing step stuff. Like, you know, he's like, here, here, here. And it's like kind of like, you know, um, force feeding it to me, so to speak. The first step, the powerlessness, I always thought that I had power. You know, I was always like, okay, well, yeah, like it fucks my life up, but I have power. Like if I wanted to, I really like deep down, I could stop, but I don't want to stop. This last run made me completely realize what that actually means. Right. To be powerless. Because there were so many nights that I wanted to stop and I couldn't. Right. And I, and I, and I was frustrated. I cried a lot. I'm not a crier. But I cried a lot over the last four months because it was so frustrating. It's like, you know, you want to be a good dad. You know, you want to be a good partner. You want to be a good son and friend. And you, when you're doing drugs like that, you lose that ability. You lose that, that control. And since I acknowledged that first step now, it humbled me to a point where I think I could do AA. And I think I'm in a place where I should do AA. But it's so funny, man. That first step is like so basic, but it's such a, you know, seemingly insurmountable barrier to get over for some people. For me, it was it took years, it took 20 years of addiction to be like, I'm powerless. Right. I have no, I, I have no power. You know, that doesn't excuse or justify drug use. Right. You know, but at least it, 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 it kind of informs that this is a problem that I need to stay proactive about. I need to take preemptive steps to stay away and stay off of drugs. And knowing that I'm powerless, what do I need to do to not put myself in a situation where I'm going to have to test that theory again? Right. You know, it's like staying the hell away from people that are doing it, having structure, um, and, and working on some of the root issues that they, they get you there in the first place. You know? I never, I never wanted to do 12 step at all. I always was disgusted with the whole thing, but I really needed help. And, and I, I'm not the kind of person that can build like something out of my mind. You know, I need someone to tell me how to do it. And with 12 step with AA, it was like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you get that if you do it correctly. And I was like, fuck it. And I did it and it really worked. So that's, I, I think if you give it, I mean, if you give it a chance, it, it works. I don't like to be like the weird proselytizing person. I just know how bad my life was before I got into it and just doing it. You know, I, what, I never expected to be this kind of a person now. That's all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's hard for me to like, you're so well adjusted now. Or like seemingly so, you have patience, you can listen, shit like that. You can dispense good, uh, valuable advice. 
it's even hard for me to like look at you and like be like, oh yeah, he was shooting heroin or he was smoking crack or whatever. And when I had three years sober, sober, people would say that about me. You know, they'd be like, I can't even imagine you on drugs. So it's like, right? You know, the further you get away from that, the less that you're like compartmentalized as that person because you you've evolved past it. You know, but you can't get too confident no. and think that you beat it. You know, you got to always know that this is there. And this is something you need to like, if you appreciate your life, that's why gratitude is such an important part of recovery. It's like, if you value your life and you're grateful for the shit you have, you need to put in work to keep it. But I'm also grateful to hear your fucked up stories. I'm grateful to tell tell my own (laughs) fucked up stories. It's all just pieces of the bigger life, you know, life puzzle or whatever. They're all pieces. It's like you said, when you can tell the stories and not do the stories, you know, and we're allowed to do that. You know, um, I really appreciate you coming on and getting fucking raw about this thing. I cannot wait to read antiheroes and we'll have you back again. I cannot wait to see you in New York and we'll go to a spot and you'll do a reading. We'll do some shit, have a nice dinner. We have some coffee, not get fucked up on your psychedelic cachet and, uh, and survive. (laughs) Yeah, No, we will. All right. Right. Yeah, man. Thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, bro. Dude, whenever you want. Have a good time. It breaks my heart um, to hear that, you know. Uh, We never got to meet in person, and he's gone, you know. And um, if you're using out there, please be careful. You know, it's, it's very hard to use carefully at this point. People love you. People don't want you to die. We've lost so many people since we started this show. And uh, and Ryan Leone was very special. So stay strong, everybody. Uh, protect yourselves. Uh, and recovery isn't bad. <laughs> recovery is not... It's not a, a punishment. It's like, I swear to God, I'm driving around my town so grateful to be alive, like bursting with joy and love and it's been a rough week with ryan dying uh it's this fucked up feeling and and next week is uh it's it's four years since chris died you know and uh and i live with it every day you know and anybody who's lost anybody to drugs you know or alcohol or suicide or tragedy we you live with it every day So I hope everybody's doing okay. Recovery is not a punishment. It can be a really, really good time. And and it sounds cliche. My recovery is so much better than my old using life. It's not even close. It's not fucking close by a million miles. I did enjoy getting high, um, but it was, it was unsustainable. It, It was not possible to feel good always, which is what I wanted. And I don't feel good always now, but there is no horrible terror. And any terror is, is pretty manageable. Any fear is pretty manageable. Um, anyway, that's it. Rest in peace, Ryan Leone. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And Palabra. Ryan Leone always said Palabra. I don't know why. I meant to ask him, why is he saying Palabra? As far as I know, Palabra meant word. I don't, so I don't know. We'll never know. Maybe one day we'll find out. Uh, thank you, Seth Ferranti. Thank you, Ryan Leone. 
Thank you, Dopey Nation. We're going to have a new episode out tomorrow. I'm sure we'll talk about Ryan again. Stay strong, everybody, and fucking toodles for Chris again. All right, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it's going to make me look a little bit more entire. I'm just going to start
I'm sure you can relate to the calling your dad part. <laughs> Dude, it's just really good. Like, where did you write, what did you write that? I like the lyrics. I hope they can 